For the past uh, few months or so, we have been talking about keys to kingdom living that God has provided in his word, assisting us to live lives within the realm of his kingly rule and thereby experiencing the fullness of life that God intends for us and that we want as well. One of the keys that we have been looking at over the last few weeks is the key of stewardship, which we have said is managing and overseeing what is God's. And because God owns everything, stewardship includes the management and oversight of every area of our lives. And one of the aspects of stewardship, and particularly the stewardship of money, that we began to look at last week is the stewardship of the tithe. And so before we head into talking further about that this week and wrapping up this uh, material on stewardship, I would like to invite God to help us. So, Father, we do thank you that you have prepared a place here for us to come, that you were here before we even got here, that you have been planning this day since uh, before the foundations of the earth for us to gather together as your people to celebrate you, to worship to learn to know you better and to live within your kingdom realm. And so I just ask, Holy Spirit, that you would help us to hear you today and that as I share these uh, principles from your word that we would uh, grasp your love and your care and your provision that is so uh, clearly articulated in them. And might we be willing uh, to trust you uh, in this arena of finances where... uh, You have so clearly identified this opportunity to learn that. So, Father, thank you for this time, and uh, pray for those who are yet still coming, that they would arrive safely. In Jesus' name. Last week, we uh, began looking at this material by answering a variety of questions that uh, people might have about tithing and uh, will want to review those as well as then go on this afternoon to uh, talk about a few others, perhaps, that might be helpful to us. So some of the questions we addressed last week were, firstly, where does tithing come from? And we said that God is described throughout the Bible as a loving, caring Father that wants what is best for us. And so throughout uh, the scriptures, he's given us principles, uh, rules for life to help us experience his superabundant life. And one of the directives for life that God gave to his people was the tithe, which we can see a a clear passage of that from Leviticus 27.30. So a second question we looked at is what is the tithe? And we said that the word tithe means tenth, that for many Christians the idea of tithe simply means giving. And so when we say let's collect our, our tithes and offerings, it's time to give something. But the tithe actually means the word tenth. And the tithe is described in the Old Testament is 10% of our income. That is to be returned to God. The purpose of the tithe uh, is not so much to supply money to uh, the temple or the church, though it does, does of course, provide that. Um, But the Bible says that the purpose of the tithe is to teach us to put God first in our lives. And that is a very personal and a very relevant thing uh, for each of us to learn. And I think you know, that I'm 49. I've been a Christian most of my life. I've uh, been in ministry since uh, I was 20, Claire and I. And um, honestly, this concept of do I trust God 
is very much in the forefront right now of what God is still doing in my life. So this idea of putting God first, of trusting him, is right where I'm at, uh, and it uh, is something that he is working with me, I suspect, with many of you as well. Another question we looked at is, are we to give God the first or the last part of our income? We mentioned that it's common for many of us who are struggling with our money to be tempted to give God just a token amount of whatever is sort of left over if there is any at the end of the month. But God says the tithe is to be the first part and the best part of our income. And we looked at Malachi uh, as well as Mark last week about those. And I might add this um, point at this moment, comment on tithing relative to the gross or the net. I was asked that question afterwards last week and mentioned that I would be touching on it this week. Um, Our gross income is the wage that we receive for working. Now, from the fact that we pay our taxes, we buy our groceries from our income, we pay the rent, we tithe out of our income, the government has set up a collection process where they get it first, but that doesn't distinguish in my mind that that portion is still a part of the entire wage that is being paid to us. And so I would suggest or imply from that that the tithe is to be the first and the best of our income, and I would advocate that the tithe should be on the gross and not on our net income. But that is not, you know, the Old Testament didn't have a a gross and a net, you know. The government wasn't set up to take their portion first, but we have a government who has set that up that way. And so we have to answer that question for ourselves. Another question we looked at is where are we to give our tithes and offerings? Uh, again, it's common in our day for uh, individuals to give a little bit here and a little bit there and a little bit there and to feel like, well, that's, that, that works. Uh, but the Jews were instructed to bring their tithes and offerings to one place, the temple. We as Christians, of course, don't have particularly a one place where all Christians come to worship. But I would believe uh, that the Bible would teach us that it is best for each of us to have a place of worship where we are receiving and giving uh, ministry and expression and service as well as having community. And that then would be the one place where we're to bring our tithes. That's not to suggest that there aren't many viable, wonderful places to give offerings above and beyond our tithe, but that tithe, that first fruit, Uh, Coming to the local church is what I understand uh, from those passages. We looked at Deuteronomy 12 as well as Malachi 3.10 on that. Another question we looked at last week was what happens if we do not tithe? In Malachi 3, God says that those who do not tithe are robbing him and as a result are under a curse. And then we looked at, well, what is that curse? Is God, you know, punishing us per se? And I would suggest no. That the curse doesn't have to do with a punishment for um, robbing him, but it is a result of the sin in the world and a general rebellion against God that comes as a result of our broken world and then even Satan himself. We're looking at John 10.10 that said the enemy comes, the thief, Jesus calls him, comes tithing, and so I'm going to get you. But as much as a stepping out from within the realm of God with within the jurisdiction of his care and oversight in a very special way to say, you know what, I'm going to do this on my own. I can't really trust you, God, so I'm going to do this on my own. Well, when we do that, we step out into 
the realm of the enemy who has a greater access to us. That's what I understand that to mean when Malachi speaks of us being under a curse. And then the last question we looked at last week was, well, what is God's promise to us if we tithe? Uh, Is there really something beneficial about this or is this just a a good old law that we should obey or something? But the uh, promise from Malachi 3, 10 and 11 is profound. Um, God speaks of testing him in this and his commitment to us, us if we will tithe is that he will abundantly bless us and extend special protection over us and our stuff, I would advocate. So that's the the promise, and you can look at that uh, material out of Malachi yourself. Many of you perhaps have heard other other messages speaking about that. I want to address just a few more questions uh, this afternoon uh, as we look at this material. next question I'd like to look at is, what are the tithes and offerings to be used for? One of the passages we read last week described a variety of different kinds of offerings to God. Deuteronomy chapter 12, verses 4 through 7 says, Do not worship the Lord your God in the way these pagan peoples worship their gods. Rather, you must seek the Lord your God at the place he himself will choose from among all the tribes for his name to be honored. And I mentioned last week when we looked at this passage that that it was typical for Uh, the pagans, because of a a polytheistic culture, to worship the different gods in different places. And so they would go to this mountaintop to worship this god, and they would do this sacrifice to worship this god and all that. And so there's this wandering about. And God, in contrast, is saying, no, I want you to come to one place to worship me, uh, the one and only God. Rather, you must seek the Lord your God at the place he himself will choose from among all the tribes for his name to be honored, There you will bring to the Lord your burnt offerings, sacrifices, tithes, the contribution of your hand, offerings to fulfill a vow, free will offerings, your offerings of the firstborn animals of your flocks and herds. There you and your families will feast in the presence of the Lord your God and you will rejoice in all you have accomplished because the Lord your God has blessed you. Sometimes, um, you know, you might find uh, a study of the variety of different kinds of offerings there an interesting thing to do. But in light of our time together and uh, what I felt led to highlight, I want to talk about three of these offerings that are listed here. The first uh, being the tithe that we have been talking about. The tithe offering, we've said, was to be brought to the temple. And its primary usage was to meet and supply the needs of the priests and the Levites, in a sense, to pay the workers of the temple. Numbers uh, chapter 18, verses 21 through 24 says, As for the tribe of Levi, your relatives, I will pay them for their service in the tabernacle with the tithes from the entire land of Israel. The Levites must serve at the tabernacle and they will be held responsible for any offenses against it. This is a permanent law among you, but the Levites will receive no inheritance of land among the Israelites because I have given them the Israelites' tithes, which have been set apart as offerings to the Lord. This will be the Levite's share. This is why I said they would receive no inheritance of land among the Israelites. And so we see in this Uh, passage here that all of the other tribes receive land where they can 
grow crops and they can have animals and all of that. But the Levites, the, those that were to oversee and serve in the tabernacle in the temple were not to have land. They were not to make provision, but instead were to benefit and receive their income, their life uh, needs from the tithe of the rest. Another example of this usage is found in the Old Testament book of Second Chronicles. Hezekiah was a, a king of Israel that attempted to unite and reestablish the nation after it had been in captivity and now coming back into the land. And I want to read a fairly lengthy passage, Chronicles, Second Chronicles 31, uh, verses 2 through 12. Hezekiah then organized the priests and Levites into divisions to offer the burnt offerings and peace offerings and to worship and give thanks and to praise to the Lord at the gates of the temple. The king also made a personal contribution of animals for the daily morning and evening burnt offerings as well as for the weekly Sabbath festivals and monthly new moon festivals and for the other annual festivals as required in the law of the land. Basically what that's just simply talking about is that Hezekiah himself as a wealthy individual, as the uh, king uh, of Israel at that time, is making a very significant contribution to provide for uh, the temple, above and beyond, I'm sure, uh, his tithe in that particular situation. In addition, he required the people in Jerusalem to bring the prescribed portion of their income to the priests and Levites, the tithe, so that they could devote themselves fully to the law of the Lord. The people responded immediately and generously with the first of their crops and grain, new wine, olive oil, honey, and all the produce of their lands. They brought a tithe of all they owned. The people who had moved to Judah from Israel and the people of Judah themselves brought in the tithes of their cattle and sheep and a tithe of the things that had been dedicated to the Lord their God, and they piled them up in great heaps. The first of these tithes was brought in late spring, and the heaps continued to grow until early autumn. When Hezekiah and his officials came and saw these huge piles, they thanked the Lord and his people Israel. Where did all this come from? Hezekiah asked the priests and Levites. And Azariah, the high priest, replied, Since the people began bringing their gifts to the Lord's temple, we have had enough to eat and plenty to spare, for the Lord has blessed his people. Hezekiah decided to have storerooms prepared in the temple of the Lord, and this was done. Then all of the gifts and tithes were faithfully brought to the temple. So we see just an extravagant giving of the people, a response to God's word, a response to God's promise to provide uh, for them. In the New Testament, we see uh, Paul affirming this same thing in 1 Timothy 5, 17 and 18 where he affirms the paying and support of church leaders. He says, The church leaders who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honor, especially those who work in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, Do not muzzle the ox while it is treading out the grain, and the worker deserves his wages. So the primary purpose for the tithe in that era and that arena was the provision for uh, the workers uh, of the um, of the temple, of the tabernacle, depending on the era that it was. Now, out of that as well, there also was a distribution to widows and orphans that also came out of the surplus then of those piles of generosity. And, of course, in our day and age, supposedly we have the welfare system that is doing that, but uh, not as adequate as uh, this system did. 
A second one I want to highlight here of the kind of offerings that were highlighted in that Deuteronomy passage is what uh, it was called in that passage free will offerings. Free will offerings or special offerings as we sometimes call them today were offerings by the people for special needs or special circumstances and to a great degree including the building and outfitting of the tabernacle and then later the temple. Again, a fairly lengthy passage, but I think helpful. Exodus 35 um, and a variety of uh, verses from that text. Exodus 35. Moses said to the whole Israelite community, this is what the Lord has commanded. From what you have, take an offering for the Lord. Everyone who is willing is to bring to the Lord an offering of gold, silver, and bronze. So this is not a tithe. This is above that. This is all who are willing. All who are skilled among you are to come and make everything the Lord has commanded. Then the whole Israelite community withdrew from Moses' presence, and everyone who was willing and whose heart moved him came and brought an offering to the Lord for the work on the tent of meeting. This is prior to the building of the tabernacle, and it was the provisioning for the building of that facility. Uh, for all of its service as well as for the sacred garments. All who were willing, men and women alike, came and brought gold, jewelry of all kinds, brooches, earrings, rings, and ornaments, keeping in mind they had left Egypt having been uh, incredibly blessed. Uh, the people from Egypt had sort of dumped on them, please get out of here and here's money to take with you. <laughs> Again, a part of God's uh, um, incredible provisioning for them. They all presented their gold as a wave offering to the Lord. Then Moses summoned uh, Bezel and Ohalid and every skilled person to whom the Lord had given ability and who was willing to come and do the work. They received from Moses all the offerings the Israelites had brought to carry out the work of constructing the sanctuary. And the people continued to bring freewill offerings morning after morning. So all the skilled craftsmen who were doing all the work on the sanctuary left their work and said to Moses, the people are bringing more than enough for doing the work the Lord commanded to be done. Then Moses gave an order, and they sent this word throughout the camp. No man or woman is to make anything else as an offering for the sanctuary. And so the people were restrained from bringing more because what they already had was more than enough to do all the work. Now, wouldn't that be a great uh, situation to experience? That was awesome. Basically, what we see uh, here is um, the provisioning for the building and the structure and all of its needs are coming out of this free will offering or this special offering. In our day and age, typically from the tithes and offerings of the congregation is the provisioning of both the workers and the facilities. That's how we have always uh, attempted to, to make it. But in this era, those were two separate provisions. The tithe was for workers, and then the special offerings were for the provisioning for the facility. And uh, in here up front, they were provisioning enough to be able to build it, and then each year there was an additional uh, required offering uh, that didn't have anything to do with the tithe. It was above and beyond uh, kind of the tithe, but it was also an equal amount that everyone paid something kind of uh, something sort of parallel to the taxes we pay to the government. And that also was to come in for the facility itself, for the temple or the tabernacle. In our history as a church, we have had 
uh, a few different special or free will offerings uh, through the years. A, a number of those have been for facilities, uh, special needs that we had at that particular time. Years and years ago, we, had, we were in a rented facility of our own, and uh, one of the AC units went out, and it was going to cost us three or $4,000 or something like that, and there wasn't sufficient in the in the regular offerings, and so we did a special offering to help provision that, and the Lord graciously through the people uh, provided sufficient for that. At some point in the future, uh, it is our desire as a church to buy our own building or to buy land and build a new building, Um, and when we get to that point, uh, we will have the opportunity to give a free will or special offerings for that purpose, similarly uh, as to here with uh, what Moses was describing in Exodus 35. The third uh, one I would like to highlight is what is called the open hand offering. Uh, That Deuteronomy passage we read earlier, as well as this passage, uh, spoke of this. Uh, Deuteronomy 12.6 says, Then there you will bring to the Lord your burnt offerings, your sacrifices, your tithes, the contribution of your hand, your offerings to fulfill a vow, your free will offerings, your offerings of the firstborn animals of your flocks and herds. In the Exodus passage we read on the free will, it said they all presented their gold as a wave offering to the Lord. Uh, This contribution of your hand would probably best be translated something like the offering you bring with the wave of your hand. Give me this piece of paper here. It's, you know, it's the idea of being, bringing the money in and kind of tossing it down. One, one offering we did was like this once in our history. We had a giant trash can up at the front. I had always wanted to kind of put one of those little basketball hoops over it and just have everybody kind of do the, the, the wave offering. And here's, here's really the point of that. I, I personally believe that they probably did bring the offering that way, everybody kind of running to the front and doing something like that. Um, But what it symbolizes is an offering brought with an open hand and a joyous heart. The open hand offering is not a tithe. It's not a special offering. It is an offering to God for the joy of giving to God. To demonstrate that we're not clutching or grasping our money too tightly, but, but living with an open hand. And uh, there is something, and I think there are other traditions that use this kind of offering in a much more, um, I think, encouraging and uh, positive way. And, uh, but it's a, it's a little rare. You're not going to find it too often probably in a Baptist or uh, you know, a Methodist setting, maybe more in a Pentecostal tradition or something of that nature. But it's a very legitimate uh, type of offering and one that probably would do our hearts good Uh, to uh, live with and to function with more often. Another question I want to address uh, this afternoon is, are pastors to tithe on the income received from the church? And now some of you might think, well, what does that matter to me? But I want you to know that Claire and I um, are with you in this. Numbers 18, 21 through 29 says, Say this to the Levites, the workers of the temple, when you receive the tithes from the Israelites, Give a tenth of the tithe you receive, a tithe of the tithe, to the Lord as a gift. The Lord will consider this to be your harvest offering, as though it were the first grain from your own threshing floor or wine from your own wine press. You must present one-tenth of the tithe received from the Israelites as a gift to the Lord. Be sure to set aside the best portions of the gifts given to you, as your gifts to the Lord. 
So the tithe is the best portion of the people. And then those come into the temple, to the church. And the best portion of that is to be given back to God. It's not described what that is used for. And I've speculated that perhaps maybe it was out of that that they cared for the widows and orphans. I'm not sure. Um, I was not able ever to identify but uh, or how in particular that was used. But it's really clear here that those workers that are being supplied for out of the tithe of the people is to be given back as a tithe. And though Claire and I have tithed uh, for years, uh, including what we receive uh, for our salary and housing from the church, this specific requirement was new to me just uh, a few years ago. The Levites, as we've already seen, didn't own their own land or houses. They didn't have fields. They didn't have a way to earn a living, so to speak. Their living, (coughs) their expenses, their food, their housing, their retirement, all they needed to live came out of the nation's tithe. But they, even still, were required to evidence their trust in God uh, by giving back to him. And so I would advocate that pastors and those who are supported by the tithes of God's people are also to tithe to the local church they serve and attend. Perhaps maybe the biggest question that many of us uh, run into is, did Jesus teach that we are to tithe? And what does the New Testament say about tithing as so much of this material comes to us out of the Old Testament? Kind of like um, God in the book of Malachi, uh, there were a number of occasions where Jesus was not very happy with the religious leaders of his day. And though those religious leaders appeared to be very good on the outside, Um, And to do what was right, Jesus was constantly pointing out to them that it was what was on the inside that really mattered. Luke particularly records for us uh, one of the times that Jesus got on their case, Luke 11.42. And out of the New Living Translation says, How terrible it will be for you Pharisees, for you are careful to tithe even the tiniest part of your income, but you completely forget about justice And the love of God. You should tithe, yes, but you should not leave undone the more important things. To me, in this passage, it appears that Jesus assumes our responsibility to tithe and is wanting to make sure that our heart is lined up with our hand and our checkbook. Tithing, we have said, is is really bottom line about trusting God, is about making God first. That's, that's what we have seen that it is for. But those things come out of a relationship. They come out of a commitment of a walking together journey, us with God and God with us. And Jesus is concerned about our heart and he's concerned about the heart here. They're doing what appears to be the right thing on the outside. They're making their tithes, but they've left undone some of the things of care to others that he talked so much about throughout the Gospels. Another occasion that I believe supports uh, Jesus' support of the tithe is an incident related to paying taxes to Rome. The idea to the Jews of paying taxes to a foreign government was abhorrent, uh, kind of like it is to us. And uh, the religious leaders also knew uh, that Jesus supported the law, and on numerous occasions they attempted to catch him in a trap And so in Luke 20, we're told this story. Jesus' enemies kept watching him closely because they wanted to hand him over to the Roman governor. So they sent some men who pretended to be good, but they were really spies trying to catch Jesus saying something wrong. 
the spies said to him, Teacher, we know that you teach the truth about what God wants people to do, and you treat everyone with the same respect no matter who they are. Tell us, should we pay taxes to the emperor or not? Jesus knew that they were trying to trick him, so he told them, Show me a coin. And then he asked, Whose picture and name are on it? The emperor's, they answered. And then he told them, Give the emperor what belongs to him, and give God what belongs to God. Now, while this passage doesn't mention the tithe, it does fully support giving to God and honoring God. And I believe that the phrase, give God what belongs to him, does refer to the tithe and that Jesus is echoing the understanding from the book of Malachi. Therefore, I would suggest and believe that Jesus did support and uphold the tithe. What about the rest of the New Testament? What does it have to say about tithing? Tithing is not clearly taught in other parts of the New Testament, but generous giving is. The Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 8, 7 and 9 says, Now as you excel in everything, in faith and speech and knowledge and utmost eagerness and in our love for you, so we want you to excel also in this gracious ministry of giving. I do not say this as a command, but I am testing the genuineness of your love against the earnestness of others. For you know the generous act of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. The question for people who want to honor God, in my opinion, is not, do I need to give? Because if we're going to honor God, if we're going to follow him, if we're going to live within the realm of his kingly uh, oversight, then we're going to give to the king. The question is simply how much. And another question I think we need to ask is, would God ask us who are under grace and who have experienced the superabundant provision of life through his son Jesus, would he want us to give less than the Jews who were under law? The Jews were required to give 10%, really more if you include all those other offerings that are listed there. How much should we who have, res- have received freely the life of Christ from God give back to him? Nothing? Five bucks? Twenty? Personally, I think that the tithe is a minimum. It's a starting place, and then it should go above and beyond that. Remember, the purpose of the tithe is to teach us to trust God. Five bucks does not teach you to trust God. It just doesn't. But a tithe does. Unless you make 50 bucks. 50 bucks a month. Anybody out there? Priscilla? Mercy? Okay. We got some teenagers over here. Only, uh, yeah, we won't talk about their giving. It's quite incredible. Anyway. Um, again. What is it? And I I think, to a great degree, one of the reasons for this figure of 10%, I mean, it could have been 20. And in fact, reality in the Old Testament, if you add all that up, it probably was about 25%. It probably would parallel a tithe plus our taxes, um, the research I've done in the past. Um, But the question is, are we going to trust God? And here is a starting place. Here is an opportunity to say, God, this is, this is beyond my ability to manage my finances. I can't live on 100%. How in the world are you going to help me live on 90? But that's where he says, trust me, test me, 
See if I don't just pour out upon you blessings that you can't imagine. And that's been my testimony. That has been the truth. Now, that is not always in the arena of money. I think some of the blessings that we receive are relationships, is health. I have five awesome daughters, three wonderful son-in-laws. I have one granddaughter and two more little ones on the way, a boy and a girl. And, and some of the provision of God, some of the grace extended to us uh, in our family, I believe, is, is there and, and is for many of us. The friendships, um, whatever we want to parallel. God is promised to fulfill. Okay. The last question I want us to interact with briefly is what should our attitude be about giving? In 2 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul gave a lesson on giving. He says, remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop. But the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. You must each make up your own mind as to how much you should give. Don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. For God loves the person who gives cheerfully And God will generously provide all you need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. As the scriptures say, godly people give generously to the poor. Their good deeds will never be forgotten. For God is the one who gives seed to the farmer and then bread to eat. In the same way, he will give you many opportunities to do good And he will produce a great harvest of generosity in you. Yes, you will be enriched so that you can give even more generously. And when we take your gifts to those who need them, they will break out in thanksgiving to God. This particular passage is referring to a special offering, a free will offering that Paul is attempting to gather from the churches up in Macedonia and what is now Turkey. Uh, those churches that he had visited on his previous uh, missionary journey. There's a famine happening in Jerusalem and Judea and Israel, and he is pursuing a special offering from these uh, churches and church members to give and provide for these Christians who are in need. And you can look further at that passage. There's really quite a bit even more uh, understandings that can be uh, learned from that particular passage uh, there. In that passage, I see this same generosity and spirit of giving uh, that God is wanting and performed through the Israelites when they gave so much that the leaders had to tell them to stop. That's, that's the kind of generosity that Paul is inviting these Christians to have and to be. And it, again, it has to do with a heart. It is not, this is not a legal situation. This is simply... Where are you at in your relationship with God? Where are you at in trusting Him? And where are you at in learning the principles of living in His realm and in His kingdom? For many people today, giving is not a joy. It's a burden. It's a pain. But what God wants for us is a heart of gratitude and trust in Him that allows us to open our hands and give so that he can fill them again rather than the clutching and the holding so tightly that we cannot receive the bounty and the provision. So I would say that God desires us to give generously and cheerfully, that that's the heart that he is looking for 
for us, that that would be the norm of who we are and what we bring to him. Two questions that I've asked us to consider over these last few weeks are, am I being faithful to steward well the things God has given me to manage? And then, am I being faithful to give back to God the first and best of my resources? And one I would ask us as a result of the material from today would be, am I being generous? Am I being cheerful in my giving? In your programs, there is a, a green financial um, commitment card. We had given uh, these out last week as well as putting them in there this week. Uh, hopefully those of you that were here last week uh, took this home and had a chance to pray about it. Some of you may be here for uh, not having been here last week. And there's an opportunity here for you to respond, to take action by faith. Uh, if you look at um, Hebrews chapter 11, what we often call the faith chapter, every single one of the individuals that is listed there, whether it be Noah or Moses or I can't think of all the names of the individuals, but all of them, their faith was described as some action they took according to the word of God. God said something and they did something. And I would advocate that God has said to us to give generously, cheerfully to him that the tithe is a starting place and then above and beyond that there are lots of ways and opportunities to give and so on this uh, card is an opportunity for uh, all of us to make a response to what God has said to us and there's the first section the tithe and regular giving uh, opportunities there for you to make a commitment to begin to tithe um, there is a place for your name Uh, and your address. I'm not looking for those of you who are guests uh, today to make this commitment, but those of you who are attenders and members here, um, then I would invite you and welcome you to consider that. Uh, There's also a section on the bottom, special offerings, these free will offerings that I made reference to as an opportunity. There's a number of uh, needs that are possible for you as well to give towards and uh, would encourage you to uh, consider those. And what this is going to look like uh, in just a minute, I'm going to share one more passage of Scripture, but uh, we're going to conclude this teaching time. We're going to invite the worship team to come back up. And then at the end of the time, Clara is going to uh, come and lead in a time of uh, commitment and prayer, seeking the Lord, and then we're going to collect the offering at that time, including these cards is what we're going to do. I do want you to remember what the Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians um, relative to this free will offering uh, that he was uh, gathering for the needy in Jerusalem. You must each make up your own mind as to how much you should give. Don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure, for God loves the person who gives cheerfully, and God will generously provide all you need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. So if the worship team would come on up, I would just welcome you during this time as we focus on him and as we kind of connect with him to open up your hearts. What is he saying to you today about these issues, about money, about your heart? And then after the worship time, as I mentioned, Clara will come and and lead us in a time of commitment and ministry.